up to chapter 16, and I want to do it together with chapter 17 because it is actually, it is one unit. And I wanted to go backwards a little bit and just remind you, just review for a moment where we are. Okay, so we are, uh, we've gone up to chapter 15 and the way the, the Sefer Yoshua works is the first 12 chapters are the conquest, chapters 13 to 21 are the division of land. And that's the section up to the last three chapters, 22, 23, 24, are the last days of Yoshua and um, his last commands and things like that. Now, chapters uh, 13, in chapter 13, we did the, the two and a half tribes on the East Bank, right? In chapter 14 and 15, we did the inheritance of Yehuda. And you see the progression. The progression is we, we did first the East Bank, and Reuven was the first tribe to get his Nahala. He's the oldest, and he is a, a Balchuva, and he has that schut. And then when we move to the West Bank of the Jordan, so then Yehuda gets their territory first. And Yehuda is also a leader and also a, um, a uh, Balchuva, and he gets that right. Now, Perak 16. Ted Zion, okay. I'm gonna share screen. Got a lot of stuff going on here. All right. So I like to start with this, okay. Perak Ted Zion. Perak Ted Zion and Perak Yud Zion are a pair. They both deal with the inheritance of what we call the B'nai Yosef. If you see, it starts here, Pasuk Aleph. Perak Tetzayin is a very short parak, but very interesting one. It's only 10 psukim. It's one unit, and it's really the inheritance of <coughs> the tribe of Ephraim. Perak Yudzayin, Lomato. Yudzayin is longer. It has 18 psukim. It has three sections, really. Uh, it is the Goral of the tribe of Menashe. But because Menashe and Ephraim were brothers, and because we start in Tetzayin, calling this the Goral, the lottery, the lot of B'nai Yosef. So that shows that 16 and 17 are basically a unit. 16 is the inheritance of Ephraim, and 17 is the inheritance of Menashe. So, um, there's a lot of interesting stuff in here, even though there is a lot of geography, and I know that that's not everybody's favorite thing, but it is interesting. And I, I, um, I got up some maps, which are in the chat as well. And this one, one second. This one will show you I just want to give you the overview here. We did Ruvain and we went up to Gadu and up to Menashe, right? That was the, the two and a half tribes on the East Bank. And then we did the tribe of Yehuda. Now, if you'll notice, Yehuda is basically the southern flank of the state of Israel, of the state of Israel then and actually that territory is uh, extended today, going down as far as a lot. But in biblical Israel, the tribe of Yehuda goes from the Dead Sea to the Mediterranean and from Yerushalayim and Beit Shemesh south as far as Beersheba. Now, Shimon, we'll see later in a later chapter, um, we'll see that Shimon gets its territory in the middle in the middle of Yehuda. And that's a discussion, not for today. And if you take a look, what we do seem to notice is that we are moving north. When we started on the East Bank, we did Ruvain, and we did God, we did Benashe. Similarly here, we did Yehuda. We've skipped Shimon for various reasons, but basically we've done Yehuda, and we are moving up. But now we're going to skip Binyamin 
who is the eastern, um, uh, northeast of Yehuda, and Dan, which is northwest of Yehuda. And we're moving up to Ephraim and Menashe. Those are the sons of Yosef, and they get their uh, Nahala. And the first Pasuk, go back to, what are we doing here? Uh, here. Okay, by Yetzirah of Ne Yosef, I like that one so much. Colorful one. Here. By Yetzirah of Ne Yosef. And the lot fell out to the Ne Yosef from the Jordan Yericho to the waters of Yericho east to the desert going up from Yericho to the Har and to Beit El. Now, one of the things I showed you here. Um, this, I borrow this map from my sister. Okay, if you take a look here, this is, I think, probably the most exact map of the inheritance of Ephraim. And it's, it's very, it's very detailed. There's many, many cities and we don't know where they are. But if you take a look here, we start with Yericho. And if you look at Pasuk Aleph, um, second. Which is the Jordan and Yericho, Yericho. Here it calls it the waters of Jericho. What is that? East, the desert going up to Beit El and that area of the mountain, and goes from Beit El to Luz, Beit El and Luz. Actually, it says that Luz was the former name of Beit El, so probably. There were two sister cities very near each other, Beitel and Luz, and it goes with the Archi Atarot. We don't really know where this is. It goes west to Gvul Hayapleti. We don't know where that is. To um, Lower Beit Horon, and that is on the 443 if you are traveling around, till Gezer. And this is Gezer. Now, Gezer is all the way west. Gezer was a very important city. We'll talk about it. And this was to the west. And the Bnei Yosef, Bnei Yosef, Ephraim. And the border of Bnei Ephraim was according to their families. And the border was east of Atrotadar, which they put Atrotadar here, um, until Beit Haron, the upper Beit Haron, which actually I believe is south of the lower Beit Haron. Actually, I'm not sure. And to Mechmat Mitzafon, Mechmata, which seems to be up here, and it goes down in the east, Tanat Shiloh, and it goes east to Yanoha. It's a very strange kind of uh, shaped landmass, and if you look at it in other maps, you'll see that it's, a, it's not quite a sharp point, but you see that the territory of Ephraim and Menashe are right next to each other. And then we're talking about Tapuach, Tapuach, which is not on this map. I'll go to the other map. Okay. Here you see Ephraim here above Yehuda Binyamin. And it doesn't even show you here that Don is in this area. It's less exact, but it does show you um, Menashe here, Beishan, Issachar, and Asher up there. Okay. So we've done a good bit of the geography. And <clears throat> there were cities that were uh, divided for B'nai Ephraim in the territory of Menashe. And, right, this is Pasuk Hatet. All of these cities and their, their uh, environs, their surrounding neighborhoods. Okay. Now, there's a few things that we need to discuss here beyond the geography, which is, uh, like I said, not everyone's cup of tea. What are we doing here? Yeah. Okay. Uh oh. Where's my place and all my carefully. Oh uh, I lost my shoe lob. Went into another window.
Give me one second to get that back. And that's not it. All right, we're gonna have to work with this. Okay. I don't know where it went. I think it went on to a different screen. And this is beyond beyond the scope of my techie skills to get it back to the right screen. In any event, this, this parrot um, has a very interesting uh, part points to it. The first question is, why are we recalling Menachem B'nai Yosef? What is going on with B'nai Yosef? And does that mean they're one tribe? But we spoke about it last time that really B'nai Yosef are really two tribes. And I'm gonna have to switch between my two screens here because what I wanted to do. All right, okay, so take a look over here. This is in Bracious. So, Hosake, Herak, Memchet, right? And Yaakov is speaking to Yosef. Yaakov tells Yosef, Ephraim and Menashe are going to be like my sons the same way that Reuven and Shimon are. In other words, Ruvain, for his own uh, reasons and the things that he's done, that he uh, he interfered with his father's um, private personal arrangements, and because of that, he's lost the the role of the Bechor. and because uh, Yosef, right, has the he's the oldest of Rachel's children. So Yosef gets the Bechorah here. He is getting two portions. And this is an important point. Uh, Menashe and Ephraim are each going to get um, their own property. Now, of course, this is the same parrot where we have um, Yaakov switching his hands and giving the bracha of the firstborn to Ephraim, who's younger than Menashe, and that's Pasekid Zayin also. Um, this is Perik Memchet, um, I believe, right? And he says, Vayishlach Yisrael Dimino Vayashet Alosh Ephraim Vehu HaTzair Vetzmolo Alosh Benashet Sikel Et Yadav He switched his hand, Sikul. And Menashe Bechor, and Yosef sees this Yosef Yosef Pasikudzayan, he yashis aviva yadimina alosha frayan by Yera Baina. And he he doesn't like this. What is Yaakov doing? So he he takes his hands, his father by Itmokiatabibrayim, Aloshmanashim tries to like move it. But Yomi Yosef Alabib Lokainabi. It is not so. Remember this expression, Lokain, we'll see it later. He is not the oldest. Put your hand on the oldest. And Yaakov refused. I know. I know, my son. So Chazal say that this expression, his, his children will be Meloha Goyim, but that's a reference to Yoshua himself because of the great miracles and the stopping of the sun and this sort of thing. But you have here a very interesting thing. Ephraim is given precedence over Menashe. We see in the Tanakh many times, we see that it's not so simple that, that the Bechor gets the uh, precedence. Sometimes the younger one comes along and takes over. And this seems to be a pattern. Now, if we go back to Arpsukim, which for some reason run away from us. Okay. Mm. 
right? Does that mean they only got one portion? We see clearly that um, we get one portion for Ephraim in chapter 16 and one portion for Menashe in chapter 17. So the question is, why does Ephraim come first? And we see that if Yaakov puts Ephraim first, so also that's going to happen with the Nahua. As I saw a very interesting, um, and what happens is that they're taking the double portion of the Bahora and um, the Ephraim begins and Menashe, there's two portions. And the, the Mishmazot Sahab has a very interesting uh, idea here. Why is it called the portion of Bnei Yosef? And there is halacha that's brought down in the Gemara in Baba Basra. The, this principle, and I really should have gotten that for you, but I didn't manage to. It's a principle called Dina Debar Metzra. What is Dina Debar Metzra? That means that the halacha takes into account that a person's, um, if a person's neighbor will get the most benefit from their sale of their property. And therefore, they must give the neighbor the first option for the sale. So what happens is like this. If I'm going to sell, right, my field, and my neighbor's field is adjacent to my field, I have to offer it to him first because it will be worth the most to him. This is a very interesting halacha, which has a tremendous sensitivity, and I would call this definitely a life lesson in the, um, the regulation of chazal of sensitivity and consideration. And if you have uh, someone who, you know, you, you could, he could buy a property that's far away. Some people, you know, I think I remember this happening um, with someone I know that they're told the people whose apartment was next door, if you ever sell your apartment, tell me because I want to buy your apartment and make one big apartment. I don't know if that ever happened in this case that I'm thinking of. So that's the Dina de Bar Metzra. So the Mishpah, the Mishpah Zahav suggests that what we're seeing in the property of Ephraim and Menashe is the Dina de Bar Metzra, right? Because the Yosef is considered the Bahor, he gets two portions and his children have the right to have their portions next to each other. So that is why it's called the portion of Bnei Yosef and they're next to each other. That's the, the brotherhood of that. And how does this work with inheritance? Let's say there's five children, right? If the oldest child is going to take the uh, Pishnaim, and, and in the modern world, this doesn't necessarily play out this way. It's, uh, the, the halachic idea is that the Bahor gets two portions. <laughs> That's my before I forget about it. Okay. The, Two portions, let's say you would have to divide the property if there's five children, you would have to divide the property into six portions. And the oldest one would get two portions. And the idea would be the Dina de Bar Metzra would say that those two portions should be adjacent to each other. It's a very interesting thing. Now, Yaakov, uh, I'm sorry, Ephraim get, takes pre precedence and we go through his territory first because Yaakov gave him precedence. And also, there is something else going on here. And if you take a look at this map, I th thought this map was the most uh, clear. If you take a look at Yehuda, Yehuda is the southern flank. Menashe and Ephraim are the heartland. Together, they're the heartland. And Menashe on the other side is also a very big factor. But if you're just talking about the Eretz Israel proper, they are right there. So what happens in the course of, of Jewish history is that the entire land of Israel after Shlomo Mela is split into the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. The Southern Kingdom is Yehuda, and the Northern Kingdom is always called Ephraim. 
So really what happens is that Yehuda and Ephraim are the two leaders. That's where the kings come from. Yoshua is from Ephraim. And um, David, of course, is from Yehuda. These are the great leaders. And that's why they take the first, um, the first uh, portions. And their Barbanel comments, and this, this actually this week's Parsha in Israel. <laughs> the Parsha Virago, this is Bishalach. I, I think in Hul, it's still, they're still behind us. I never quite figured out why they don't catch up faster just to confuse everybody. But in the story of the Miraglim, who are the two Miraglim who are faithful to Akash Baruch Hu? Kalev and Yoshua, right? Yoshua is from Ephraim and Kalev is from Yehuda. So the Abarbanel suggests that they get their property first because they're still alive. Everyone else is dead. So they can actually say, you know, uh, as Kalev says in, in, in Perak Yudal, and Kalev says, well, Moshe promised me my uh, my territory in Hebron, and Yoshua says, you're right. And now Ephraim is going to get his territory, and that's Yoshua. It's included in there. Um, that map here in the territory of Ephraim. We don't have it here. Maybe in this map they did. Yeah. Yes. Timnat Serach, that is the property of Yoshua himself. That is where he's buried, and that's in the tribe of Ephraim. So we had this very interesting thing going on that these two are really the leaders. It's going to be, throughout Jewish history, it's going to be Ephraim and Yehuda, and that's how they're called. The, the northern kingdom is very often called Ephraim. If you think of the, the Nevuot, right? Haben Yakili Ephraim. That's a reference not to the tribe of Ephraim, but to the whole northern kingdom, right? And there's Yehuda and there's Ephraim. And this goes on through history. The, the Vilna Gaon takes it back to the, the camps in Bamidbar. And he says, and the first uh, camp that moved, there were four camps of three tribes each. The first one was Degel Machna Yehuda, right? That's why we have a street and a shuk called Machna Yehuda. And the next one was Degel Machna Ephraim. And those were the two first uh, camps that moved. And in the future, this is going to play out with Mashiach. We're going to have a Mashiach who's going to be Ben David, and it's going to be Mashiach Ben Yosef, right? So this is how this works out. And um, <clears throat> a beautiful reference to this is in, I'll show you in a second, and this is the, um, the same Perak, Lamed Zion, with the famous uh, prophecy about the dry bones. After that, right, Pasuk Tet Bav in Yechezkel Lamed Zion. If I'm not mistaken, it's the Haftorah for Vayigash. V'atah ben adam, kach lecha eitz echad, v'kutov alav Yehuda, v'vnei Yisrael chavimav, v'kach eitz echad, v'kutov alav Yosef eitz Ephraim, Yechezkel is told to make a visual demonstration for the Jewish people. One, in one hand, he's going to take a branch, a piece of wood that's going to be Yehuda, and in the other hand, he's going to take a branch that's Yosef, Ephraim. This is Yudzayim. Put them close to each other, and it will become one branch. And the people will ask you, the Jewish people will say, what is that? What are you doing? A lot of, you know, um, uh, demonstrations. <laughs> you would do all sorts of things to, to make a point, very, you know, uh, strong points. And they say, what are you doing? What does this mean? Right? Hashem. This is a vision that Yechezkel has of the time of Mashiach when the divisions that we have back in the time of the Tanakh 
in the first temple period and later in the second temple period, the rivalry and the fighting, it's going to be over in the time of Mashiach. We're going to be one nation. The two will come together, Yehuda and Ephraim, and they will become one entity. And isn't it interesting, you know, when we think about all these Nebuot, isn't it interesting that we are actually here, right, in the times which is Be'ikvot Mashiach, before Mashiach, and nobody knows what tribe they are. Unless you're a Kohen or a Levi, nobody really knows, right? And we have become a tzachad. I think it's a very, very beautiful thought. A lesson for us to work toward unity, because that is the goal. And Hashem says here, the beautiful Nebuah, we don't have time to go into it, how God will take us all back to the land and, and we will not be uh, sinning anymore with the, with the impurities and we'll have... Uh, David, the, the Mashiach will come and we'll all live peacefully in the land, speedily in our days. Okay, so that is uh, our beautiful thought. So the number of things that we can take out of this, this, uh, this story, and one of course is that um, the the idea of bar metra, the idea that we're sensitive to the needs of others, because it doesn't matter, you know, in, in the last analysis, if you're, if you're selling, like many people just, they don't care, but the Chazal is saying, you know, you have an obligation to uh, make it uh, as, as comfortable and convenient for others. You definitely see here reward for those faithful to God, Yeshua and Kalei. And another vision that we should be trying to be united. Now we looked at the the uh, geography. Just one more thing here. There is a place here that's mentioned. Uh, the western border, Pasuk Bab, Hamichmata Mitzafon. It goes around Mizracha Ta'anat Shiloh. Now, if you take a look at the map, right? Ta'anat Shiloh is here. This is really where Shiloh is. Why is it called Ta'anat Shiloh? And the question that the, the uh, Chazal say, because Ta'ana is from the language of To'aniyah, of wailing, that when people see Shiloh, they would be sad. And um, Rasulovitchik has a very, very interesting discussion of this in his book, The Lord is Righteous in All His Ways. And he says, it's very interesting that people long for Yushalayim and people talk about Yushalayim and people break glasses at weddings for Yushalayim. And Shiloh was just sort of not a thing. I think that this, that Soloveitchik wrote that years ago, and I think that Shiloh has become much more, um, much more in people's consciousness. It's, uh, they've developed the area. It's, it's, there's a lot to see there. Sometimes we take the girls on Tiulim over there, and it's a very, very magnificent shul in the neighborhood across, like the next mountain over, that's built like the Mishkan. It's it's almost, you know, almost more of a memorial than the than the tell itself. But it, it does seem like Shiloh is not. We don't think about it the same way that we think about Yushalayim. So it's an interesting comment that's there. And uh, Soloveitchik talks about it. He says, you know, 369 years the Mishkan was in Shiloh. And we don't mourn over it and we don't think about it. And it's, it's just was. And we lost that. And, um, and he, he discusses there of Yohan ben Zakkai how at the time of the Hurban, he asks for Yavna and Chachameha. Please let me remain with this space medrash and Yavna and its wise men. And it seems as if he knew that he couldn't save Yushalayim, but he wanted to make sure that the Chorban wouldn't be the end of the story, that the Torah would in, ensure that they would keep learning Torah, would keep connection to Yushalayim. And it's extremely interesting. And so one of the lessons that I would take from that is what it says in Hazin, Zahoyimot Olam. 
You have to learn history. Rabbi Wine famously says, if you don't look in the rear view mirror, how are you going to pull out into the road? And of course, Shimon Peres says, why does anyone want to learn history? <laughs> My favorite politicians. It's so important to know what came before, to know where we're headed. Right? If you don't have a past, how can you have a future? Okay, so let's go on. Um, one more thing here that I want to mention. Now, I showed you in the map where Ephraim is. I mean, where Gezer is. Gezer is in the heart of the country. Wait a second. Do you remember the 31 kings? Wasn't one of those kings Gezer? Right, ladies? So you have Gezer in the heartland. Yoshua killed the king. It's mentioned in chapter 31, he killed the king. So how come when we come along to our Pasuk here, we see they didn't expel them. The Knani remained in the middle of Ephraim until this day, which is usually uh, means when the Sefer was written, right? Um, Ahil Mas obeyed. What is a Mas obeyed? Mas is taxes and obeyed is servant. So the Jewish people were told the people of Canaan have three choices. They can leave like the Girgashi. They can make war and be annihilated or they can make peace. But the terms of the peace are they must get rid of their idolatry. They must accept the laws of B'nai Noah, the seven laws, and they must be subservient to the Jewish people. But here you have the Jewish people, right, allowing the Kanani to live there and just pay taxes and do work for us. So you have here a rebuke, the Chazal talk about how come Ephraim allowed these idolaters to sit in the middle of the country and not to get rid of them. And this is not the, the last time we're gonna see this. Unfortunately, this is going to be a theme that pervades all of the ends of Yeshua and all of the beginning of Shoftim. And it's what I think of as, you should excuse the expression, the original sin. Because the Jewish people did not get rid of these people, they are stuck. They're stuck with pockets of paganism, corruption, idolatry, people with very, very, um, wrong thinking philosophies. Those are the people that we're leaving amongst us. And it's very analogous today because we have pockets of our enemies all around us. You know, hopefully they're not idol worshipers, but they definitely make lots of trouble. And uh, it's problematic to compare because obviously we don't have the command to annihilate all these people. And this was the command, but it is something to reflect upon when you think we know everything. Akadosh Baruch Hu had it all figured out, and the Jewish people did not listen to what he said. And we have to remember that Akadosh Baruch Hu, right, the Lord is righteous in all his ways. We say this every day, a few times a day. Tzadik Hashem Hashem's intentions were for our good. And why don't they get rid of these people? And that's a very important question to ask. And that happens um, again in chapter 17 with Menasha. So let's look at that. When you think about it, why don't they get rid of them? What's, what's the deal with that? And part of it is, you know, they just, it's good enough. You know, we conquered, we have some land, we have a plate, it's enough. We don't want to make war anymore. Let's leave it alone. Like it's too much trouble. And uh, let's see what happens in Yudzayim. This is an interesting comment, right? Now we're going to have the lottery of Menashe because he was the oldest son of Yosef. But wait a minute, wait a minute. 
we just said Ephraim came first because Ephraim was given precedence by Yaakov, but now we're saying he is the oldest. He is the oldest one of Yosef. So now we're going to get this. So what is exactly going on with it? A number of different ways of understanding this. And what is this Machir? Machir was the oldest son of Menashe, the oldest, the Bechor of the Bechor. And he took Gilad and Bashan. He was the father of Gilad. And he took Gilad and Bashan because he was a man of war. What's going on here? So if we take a look at, wait, wait, where's my map? There. Okay. Bashan is today's Golan Heights. And Gilad is south of that. This is all Menashe. Now, if we take a look at this map, Menashe has a tremendous amount of territory if we look at both sides of the Jordan. And he's the Bechor. So the Malbim says he's the Bechor and he gets two portions. And that's why Machir gets all this stuff, which is a very interesting comment because we, we established that uh, Ephraim is, takes precedence, but this is what the Malbim says. Now, what is all this about him being a gibor, right? He, he was a man of war, right? So, so the, the commentators have a lot of different interesting thoughts on that. He was the oldest, right? He was a man of war. And he was not one of the original uh, tribes that asked Moshe for property on the East Bank. That was Reuben and God. So what's he doing there? So one of the explanations is <clears throat> the Ibn Ezra, he says, he was a brave person and he was able to help with that battle. And Gilad and Menashe are given to him because he conquered them. And that's why. The, <clears throat> the Barbanel says, these were selfless great warriors who sat in the most dangerous place to protect the Jewish people. And you see afterwards that um, Yiftach is from there. He's also a great warrior. So it's a very interesting kind of thing. And the Tzib says something interesting. And the Tzib says that they were not just warriors in a physical sense. They were warriors in Torah. And how do we know this? Because Devorah says, Mini Machir, right? Yerdu Mechokakim, right? Out of, in Parakei and Shoftim, in the Song of Devorah, she says, out of Machir, came lawgivers. So we, we see that there is an interesting thing going on here. And the, uh, in Bamidbar, it seems interesting. It seems that Moshe Rabbeinu wanted half of Menashe here and half of Menashe there for two reasons. One is because they were lawgivers. They were Torah scholars. And they would keep the East Bank spiritually strong. And the other is because they have their other half, on the other side of Jordan, it would keep a unity in Jewish people. Very interesting um, thoughts here. Okay, moving along. Pasuk bet. Vayihilu bnei benashen otarim lemishvotam bnei beyezot bnei cheret bnei asriot bnei shechel bnei chefa bnei shmida el bnei benashen ben Yosef hazcharim lemishvotam. The rest of the sons of Menashe, we're not talking about Machir, who gets the, the East Bank. He had six sons, Abiezer, Chelek, Asriel, Shechem, Chefer, who was the ancestor of Slavchad, and Shmida. These were the sons of Moshe, the males. So let's remember what happened to the children of Chefer. We remember these wonderful five sisters who bravely came forward and said, right? Uh -huh. Okay. We want land. I got the wrong parak here. Uh, one second. I should have Hafsayan. And where am I? Ah, okay. This is Parshat Pinchas, right? Ben Gila, they come, right? 
אבינו מת במדבר והוא לא היה בתוך העדה נועדים על השם מדעת קורח כי בחטאו מס the theory is that he was the, the wood gatherer he said our father did not die because of the sin of Korah he had his own issues למה יגרה שם אבינו מתוך משפחתו כי אין לו בן why should he lose out and his name be erased because he had no sons ladies we count I love these for no slavcha. They're awesome, right? Give us land in the midst of our, the fathers, our father's brothers. And Moshe brings their question to Hashem, and Hashem says, Cain, but no slavcha dobrot. They are correct, right? Nototim teilahem, achuzat nachot tochach ayabim, barvartis nachot abim lahem. And tell the children of Israel, if a man has no sons, give his nacha to his daughters. What are we chopped liver? Hey, come on. We also get nachala. And the beautiful thing here is that our, par- our parsha says, shlach, our parsha here in Israel, shlach l'cha'an And I'm not sure who says it. I think it's a kliyakari. He says, you would have been better off, Moshe, if you sent nashim. If you had sent the women, we love the land. We love the lands of Israel. And that's our very big lesson from those daughters of Tzlapchai. Stand up if you see something unjust. Speak up for yourselves, politely, respectfully, and love the land. Don't be like those spies who say Lashnar about the land. Really, we are so privileged. We are so lucky. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't get to be here, and here we are. So we have to think about that. And another thing that we should learn from these daughters of Tzlapchad is the wisdom of women. Chachmat Nashim, Banta Beita. These women knew, they thought ahead, and they said, what's going to happen? When the land gets divided, we will have nothing, and our father won't have a memory. And they thought, they thought right, Sof Maser, Think, right, what's going to be the outcome and to take action. So very, very admirable. And now they come to Yeshua and they say very much the same thing. Um, here we have in their names, Machla, Noah, Chagla, Milka, Ritzitza, Pasuk, Gimel. And they're, they're equally great. The, the Chazal say they were equally righteous. So in Pasuk Bet, we saw the six portions given to the six sons of Menashe, and now the daughters come, and they get their property. Let's do the math, okay? It doesn't matter, he says, Levad, aside from what Machir gets and his descendants in the Gilad of Bashan on the East Bank, there are 10 portions for Menashe on the West Bank. And if six of them are for the six sons, right, which we mentioned there, Abiezer, Chelek, Asriel, Shechem, Chefer, Shmida, what's going on here? If there's 10 portions, that means the Benot Slavka got four portions. And the Chazal say, Slavchad was a Bahar, so they got two portions for him. And their uncle had died childless, so they got his portion. And they also got their grandfather's portion. So that's 40% of Menashe territory. These ladies really, uh, they cleaned it up, girls. They cleaned it up. That's really interesting. Because the daughters of Menashe inherited property amongst the, amongst the sons, but the land of Gilad was for the other children of Menashe. Okay, Zion. This is again the uh, the borders. We'll go through this quickly. Right, so 
What does this mean? If you take a look at the map, I sent the map also to the chat for those of you um, who don't see this. You see that Menashe's upward territory, north of him is Asher, and east is Yisachar. And there seems to have been some interplay, like there, the, the tribe of Menashe's territory goes way from the, all the way from the Jordan, all the way to the Mediterranean. It's a big, big swath of land there. And they have, um, they have these borders. And now we come into a little bit of a problem. Some of the cities of Ephraim were in the cities of Menashe. There was a little bit of a, you know, balagan going on there. And then in Yudal, we see another problem. Menashe had in the territory of Yisachar, which you saw in the map, was east of Menashe, in Yisachar, some property. But what happens to it? What goes on there? Right? Below Yachub and a national Horushatarim, a Yoel, a canal, a shevet there, it's his We have the same problem again. The people of Menashe, the sons of Menashe, Pasukit Bey, could not expel, they could not take, um, uh, take possession of these cities because the Knani insisted on st and staying in that land. But when the children of Israel are actually strong, again, instead of actually expelling them, they made them pay taxes and they didn't expel them. Now, look, we saw this with Gezer in chapter 16, that Gezer was not was in the tribe of Ephraim, in the territory of Ephraim, and Gezer was um, was not was also they were paying taxes, but they, they were sitting there and they were doing their bad stuff there. And I want to show you here in Malachim, okay, when Shlomo Melech marries, right, the daughter of Paro. Pasik Tetzayin, this is Malachan Aleph Peretet. Paro Melch Mitzrayim Allah, Vayilkodet Gezer. This is much later in the time of Shlomo Melech, right? Paro comes, he captures Gezer, right? Don't forget that Yeshua originally captured and killed the king, but they came back. By Ba'esh, Paro has no compunction. He burns the city, and the Kanani who lives in Gezer, Paro wipes them out. The wedding present for the daughter of Paro. Isn't that nice? Some people get China and some people give cash. And I give you Gezer. Happy wedding. Mazel tov. And Yitzayin, Vayiven Shlomit Gezer at Beit Haron Tachto. Right? It's such a strange thing. Up until the time of Shlomo, that's where the, that's what was going on. And now we have Menashe all over the north. Wait, wait a second, I need my map back. All over the north, right? We have Megiddo, Yaknaam, right? Different places that are mentioned there. One second, as I close that. Beit Sha'an, there, Beit Sha'an, over here. Right, Yoshve Dor, Yoshve Eindor, Eindor, where the witch comes from, all this territory, which is really Yisachar territory, that's really Menashe property. And Menashe lets it go. He leaves them there. And we have this problem again and again and again. And it's going to plague us through the end of Yeshua and through Sefer Shoftim. And this was like I said, the original sin and the original problem. Now what happens, the last few psukim of this parak, very, very interesting story. We've seen what Ephraim got and where they messed up in Gezer. We've seen what Menashe got, where they messed up in the northern cities. And now, Pitom, 
The children of Yosef, okay, so the Chazal say there was mostly Menashe that was complaining, right? But it, they come as a unit, which is, you know, that's a lot of nice, uh, you know, getting together. And they come to Yosef and, they, and to Yoshua and they say, why did you only give me one? Property and chevel, chevel nachle, they measured it by ropes, that's why it's called chevel, right? I'm a big tribe. Until now, God has blessed me. I don't have enough property. Now, the Chazal go into this, you see here a big discussion here, but uh, if you look into it, which we're not going to do right now because we're out of time, if you look into it, you'll see that the expansion of the tribe of Menashe was the greatest of all the tribes. Now, how did it work? How did they divide the land based on the Yotze Mitzrayim? How many people left Mitzrayim? If they left with 10 sons, he had 10 portions. But in the case of Menashe, they left Mitzrayim with 32,000 approximately. When they got to Israel 40 years later, they were 52,000. That's a growth of 70%. This is a massive, massive a lot of people. So Menashe comes, you know what, I just don't have enough space. And don't forget this topography to think about here also, because the land of Ephraim is very hilly. And Yoshua's answer is very interesting. Listen, you know what? You have a lot of forest in your territory. Go cut down the forest in the land of the Prezi or Fayim, and uh, you know you go and uh, take take over Har Fayim, right? Tetzayim. But Yomu Bnei Yosef lanu hahar. It's that's not going to work for us. The mountain. This is a very big job to take over the hill. We can't do this. And all the Kanani who dwell here, they have iron chariots. Now you have to understand, think in your mind tanks, right? The Jews did not have fancy and advanced weapons, but the Kanani had chariots. Chariots were a tremendous fear of the Jewish people. Pyro came after them with chariots. Later on, Sisra comes after them with chariots. They don't know, they don't have that kind of equipment. So we can't do that, right? All the Kanani in the valley, they all have chariots. How can we conquer them? They have chariots. They have armies, weapons of mass destruction, who knows what. I'm very interesting. And the Chazal, what exactly is Yeshua saying? What exactly is his answer? And he seems to be saying, you know what? There's a lot of you. If there's a lot of you, then you can go and do it. And you are, you are a team, Menashe and Ephraim. Get together. You have Koach. This is my answer to you. Go take your property. You have property. Go get it. Right? <laughs> And he answers in Yudchet, Ki har yelach, ki yarhu, uvei reito, oyelach atototov, ki torisha teknani, ki recha barzalo, ki chazaku. It doesn't matter, you're going to have the mountain, right? Because you have the forest, once you get rid of the forest, you can get rid of the knani, because they're in the valley, right? It doesn't matter that they have iron chariots, right? That they're strong, it doesn't matter, you could do this. Get together and do it. So the the... Interesting question is here, is he actually telling them no? Okay, so most of the before should understand it that way. You say, listen, guys, I gave you what you're supposed to get, and that's it. That's what you're, yours. If you want more land, conquer it. Go get it. You can get together as a team, and you could do this, right? And it's very interesting because really, Work together. Work together. Menashe and Ephraim, you can be a team. At the beginning of Sefer Shoktim, we see 
that Shimon and Yehuda go together to conquer the territory. And B'nai Yosef do conquer certain things together. And Yeshua's lesson to them, it's a very a strong rebuke. He's saying, really, you have what to do here and you can't sit back and say, well, no, they have Iron Chariot. Go get it, right? You're strong. And if you work together, then you can conquer. So there's our lesson from this uh, very interesting little, little story here. Yeshua was saying, guys, work together, work together. You have Amravata, Koach Gadola. And this is something that we spoke about at the beginning when we were talking about um, the Malchus of Yehuda and the Malchus of Ephraim. Eventually, we're all going to have to work together if we want to get to where we want to go. So we have to strive for unity and we have to make sure that we go ahead with our challenges and don't chicken out. Okay, I think that uh, we're out of time. Are there any questions? Anybody stop the share? Okay, anyone have any questions? It's a lot of, it's a lot of geography. Some of that stuff is less than exciting, but, um, but still there's very, very interesting stuff in here. And um, if you look at the way the the tribes of Yehuda, you know, protects the south, and the tribes of Menashe and Ephraim protect the heartland. And that's, we're supposed to be working together. That's supposed to be the way it is in Halabai. Ezra Tashem. Now this is the, the, uh, the, I mean, let's see, we have some non, non uh, Israelis here. So thanks mommy. I liked it. It was very interesting. Thank you, sweetheart. I like the power of the women. Nobody knows feminism started by us. Listen, the Benot Salafchad come forward, and I think it's, it's there is a whole discussion, a whole bunch of halachas that come out from their um, you know statements. And we shouldn't be afraid to come forward and say, you know, this is right, and this needs to be addressed. And there's this great comment, Cain, Cain, they're they are speaking correctly. And it's very interesting that it doesn't come forward, like Moshe Rabbeinu could have made, Hashem could have told Moshe, listen, put it in halacha, that if a man has no sons, his wife, his daughters can inherit. Right, the Gemara has a whole discussion about like why, you know, and the Gemara says because they were five righteous women and they deserve to have this portion in the Torah, right? And they, they came forward and they're acknowledged. And that's in itself a lesson for us. Come forward, you know, and say, well, this, this, this is right, right? Like that women power. <laughs> I'm sure your father would have said something about Vesti Karavna. Vesti Karavna? You, you're muted We didn't hear you for a second. I'm saying that I'm sure your father would have said something about the Vatikravna. He always used to talk about the Te'amim. I don't know how to do it right, but it's something like Vatikravna, like something he used to say about how women, when they want something, they know how to say it or, do you remember? No, huh? remind me. Debbie, do you remember? No, but I'm I'm liking the uh, the whole idea. <laughs> in what in what way that he, he said they know how to approach it? There's two there's two words in the in the not over here in the Chumash, Vatikravna and Vatamodna, maybe. Yes. And they both have this kind of whiny kind of tam that like when women so uh, yeah. Women know like how that. to whine for things and get their way. <laughs> they know how to ask properly. <laughs> they know how to get things done. And it's it's really true. That's why I said, people don't understand this. People say, people don't realize what a smart, what a wise woman can accomplish if she's if she's thinking forward, right? I said, Sofma said, you think first, what's going to be the result? 
And then you say, well, this is the way I'm going to do this. And this is the way I'm going to accomplish this. And this week is also is a very, very great woman. And this, you know, like it's hinted at uh, in the story of Owen Ben Pele, right? That his wife said like, Owen, what are you getting involved on this next week's question? Wait a second. Daddy used to refer to her as Mrs. Owen. Daddy oh. used to refer to her as Mrs. Own. Right. So that's, I'm sorry, that's next week's Parsha. That she she told her husband, like, either Moshe wins or Korach wins, and, and you're nowhere. So why are, you hang, why are you getting involved? So she knew how to talk him out of it. That's also wisdom of women, right? Think of what, what was Mrs. Korach saying? Right? We jumped ahead of Parsha. What was Mrs. Korach saying? Yeah, go for it. You know? Go for it. He was encouraging him. I have no doubt. Like, how does this even work? Like, you know, Korach, you know, why don't you get what you deserve? Like, a woman has to be smart. A woman has to realize what's right and to go for that and not to be thinking about, you know, uh, power. In this case of the, uh, the power that, that they would have if they would win that story. But it's interesting. It's interesting. I have to check it. I just don't want to misquote the. I think that it's the Kliyaka who says you should have sent women, Moshe. If you had sent women as spies who loved lands of Israel, you wouldn't have had this problem, which is a great compliment to women. I'll, I'll check Bezrat Hashem. I'll, I'll put it in the chat. You know who who actually said that. I'll try to get back to you with that. Anyway, so Baruch Hashem. We are, we are getting wiser and wiser. We're learning more and more, and that's, that's the goal.